permission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. To Roll for initiative. From the silver screen to the GM screen, Never Say Die asks, what can we learn from movies to enhance our role-playing game experience? I'm Rafe Telsch, film critic. And I'm Drew Meyer, gaming enthusiast. So we've had three weeks to think about anything we may have missed about The Quest. But before we get to those thoughts, because this is a podcast about movies and role-playing games, Rafe, have you watched any movies, played any games, or listened to any podcasts in the last two, three weeks that you would recommend to me and or our listeners. I changed it in one place and didn't get to change it in the other. I love that. <laughs> uh, why, yes, Drew, I have. It is uh, Academy Award season. I just talked about this uh, in an episode of uh, my other podcast. Uh, I love Oscar season. Uh, every year when the Oscar nominations are announced, that begins the clock on what I call Oscar catch-up, at which point I am watching as many of the Oscar nominees as I can between the nominations and then the awards. Uh, and in part because on my other podcast, we do a prediction episode about a week before the Oscars come out. So I've been watching a lot of this year's Academy Award-nominated films, both for good and for bad. Because if you haven't been paying attention to this year's Oscar nominations, they nominated a lot of popular movies instead of just the regular artistic-type movies. So I've watched um, Tar with Kate Blanchett. Did not like that. But I've also watched Top Gun Maverick, which I avoided in theaters, but had to watch because it is Oscar-nominated. Didn't like it either. <laughs> um, Elvis, uh, The Banshees of Inishirin. Uh, I revisited Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I will officially always go on record as saying one of my all-time favorite movies. I love that movie so much. Uh, and uh, yeah, lots of that kind of stuff. How about you, Drew? Uh, nothing I've watched recently uh, has been nominated for an Academy Award that I'm aware of. <laughs> it's because you're not watching recent movies. You're just watching old movies recently. That's true. Actually, I, I take that back. Wakanda Forever, did that get nominated for it any did. kind of technical It got stuff? nominated okay. for Best Actress. You're right. Or su it supporting, act supporting Actress. Yeah. Supporting Actress. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, that just dropped on Disney+. Plus. We watched that. Speaking of Disney+, Plus, we, you know, this is television rather than uh, movies, but we watched all of Andor. Uh, oh, so good. In the last couple of weeks. Agreed. Fantastic. One of the best shows uh, I've seen in a long time. And so we rewatched Rogue One. One of the uh, best Star Wars stories I think they've ever told. Listen, I think I have gone on record for saying that not as much of a Star Wars fan recently, I, but I'm yeah. also not ingesting as much of the media as everybody else. So I right. haven't watched Obi-Wan yet, and so I was a little hesitant with Andor, but everyone I just kept on saying, this is great, this is fantastic. But the the deciding factor is whether or not my wife would sit down and watch with me. And I said, well, let's just give it one episode. And we gave it one episode, and she goes, I want to see what happens next. Yeah. So we watched the next episode. And it was like then midnight, and she's like, "All right, we're tomorrow. We're watching another one." And we just we were going two or three episodes a day. Uh, See, so, I yeah. watch it as it comes out, so I only get you know one episode, except for the first one. There's not a couple. do that. <laughs> no, there's my. I mean, even though I appreciate television and how that works, and and, and in some ways, I like that week in between to discuss it. Right. So for something like I don't know Wednesday, which I enjoyed, it was really enjoyable to like watch an individual and discuss like what we thought what the mystery is about. And that's fun. Uh, this I just needed to, to to get it done. See, we had the different experience because I binged Wednesday in one day. <laughs> <laughs> I watched... Uh, uh, one day I was just flipping through stuff. I'm, I've been signing up to a lot of DVD um, production company catalogs. And I think it was Arrow had one, um, something called the Assassination Bureau from 1969. It has Oliver Reed in it. It has uh, Dame Diane Rigg, who I absolutely adore. And mm -hmm. I was like, what is this? A, a, a group of assassins? It's a comedy romance farce. Um, <laughs> and like half the behind the scenes cast have, has some connection to Doctor Who, of course. So, you know, immediately found it, watched it. Um, Rafe, did the first 20 minutes of this movie or possibly... The f some of my favorite first 20 minutes of, of a movie I've seen recently, and the rest of the film I didn't feel like lived up to it. But if you are a fan of the Castle Falkenstein role-playing game, uh, which came out in the 90s, and I am huge, huge fans. In fact, 
as far as game setting, not mechanics, but setting, favorite setting um, ever. And uh, if you're not familiar with it, Rafe will uh, off mic will talk all about it. It's, I I could talk about it forever. I I have a question I have to ask you that we probably should say for off mic. But since you brought up Doctor Who, was Diana Rigg ever in Doctor Who? Yes. The oh. Crimson Horror. Okay. She and her daughter are, are both in the same episode. Okay. I got to check that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's an Avengers-style um, genre uh, kind of mystery. Not not Avengers Assemble Avengers, but, right. you know, the British Avengers. The British Avengers. Obviously. Obviously right. You know. um, yeah, no, it's, it's a The it's one a with really Ray Fiennes one. and Sean Connery, right? Yes. <laughs> and Uma Thurman. You're laughing because you think Drew doesn't love and or own that movie, but Drew both owns and loves that movie. And 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 actually, the Assassination Bureau is very much in the vein of the Avengers, and it's very much in the vein of of that Avengers film. Um, so it's that sort of kind of campy niche, weird for weird sake, but it goes off the rails second and third act. And then uh, let's see what else did I see that I think was really worth talking about. Oh, I saw I, I saw a lot of really good stuff. I'm just gonna skip to this one, Cloak and Dagger. I so I've wanted so badly to bring that as one of my picks, and I just can't justify it as a kids on bikes movie. So I'm saving it for a future genre. But I want to to discuss and gamify that movie so badly. So for fans who are not familiar with this this film, this is another Henry Thomas 1980s film. Um, in which Henry Thomas is obsessed with a role-playing game called Cloak and Dagger. It is very much a D&D. Um, there's a lot of Dungeons & Dragons on the screen, uh, and it mixes kind of his reality and his adventure life kind of collide. Rafe, while it may not be a kids on bikes movie, right? I have discussed with somebody, and they have come up with a good reason why we could talk about it if you wanted to. It is a KOB movie. It is a kids on buses film because rather than having bikes riding around, they have a bus pass that gets them all throughout. Uh, now I've forgotten which city in Texas they are. Where's the Alamo? Alamo. Alamo. <laughs> Al- te- Texas. And there's um, a basement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with an amazing Larry's there. Right. He has something to share with the rest of the class. All right. Clearly we've gone off the rails, but um, yeah, I know. So uh, I was just in the mood to watch more Henry Thomas stuff. And yeah. so um, this was a film that I loved as a kid. Again, you know, Henry, I guess Henry Thomas was sort of my Corey Feldman, you know, like they're both equally popular in the eighties, but I think I didn't watch as many Corey Feldman movies, but I was definitely addicted to the, um, the Henry Thomas ones. And it just was just, you know, all, uh, talking about the quest made me want to go back and, and um, yeah, it's interesting. So I'm going to say no more just in case we do decide to talk about that one. But uh, yeah, some good ones. I was, I, I've had a good three weeks of films. I've watched a lot. Good. Good. What about uh, role-playing games? Well, so I'm, I'm in four groups that I'm doing. <laughs> Gaming enthusiast, maybe uh, underselling. You might need a better title. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I mean, part of them are for my job. You know, I, I do run groups, um, teen groups for the library, and I've got my regular in-person group, and I've got a couple of online Zoom groups. And our online Zoom group has been doing uh, Hack the Planet, which is a cyberpunk, dystopian cyberpunk, environmental terrorism sort of a thing. It runs off of a Blades in the Dark hack, which is, it's good. It's fun. It's not my favorite genre, but it's really enjoyable. But our game master has decided to do something that I have fully applauded. It's one of my favorite tropes for game masters to do, which is midway through a really fun quest, you switch systems. You switch gaming systems completely. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons and ways to do this. For us, because it's a cyberpunk game, we have entered into a game. And so for the next couple of sessions, we're playing in a fantasy game. So our bodies are plugged in. Our minds are taking over new characters. And so we're using the Savage World system, which I've only played in once but I'm really enjoying it. So it's a kind of a subaquatic character. I am an intelli- hyper-intelligent elderly crab man um, <laughs> who who has MacGyver-like tendencies. What? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that's that's sort of what I'm doing. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm enjoying both Walpole. seasons. <laughs> but for me, it's just getting a chance to play around in a new system. Right. Uh, and 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 just to kind of compare notes and kind of realize what I do like, and also I'm playing. That's the thing too. I'm running every other game, but this is the only session that I'm actually playing in, and that's a big thing too. So you know, like while I don't love running Dungeons and Dragons, I kind of like playing in it. And while I don't love running every system, 
some are better, I, what I feel better systems to be a player in. Um, and, and that's not saying universal across the board. I'm just saying it's for, for me in the style of, of play. So how about you? What are you, uh, what are you up to as far as RPGs? Have you had time with all these movies that you've been watching? Well, I only have one group. So, and, and they are, uh, dedicated to Dungeons and Dragons. So that's, that's the game of choice with them. But I have been reading, I got my, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender Kickstarter mm. order fulfilled and it is, uh, beautiful. One, it is the the books are gorgeous, uh, but I've been so I've been reading through that and just kind of you know seeing seeing how that system works compared to you know Dungeons and Dragons, and it's it's got some interesting mechanics to it. Uh, it's a little mechanics heavy, but then again, when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> you're kind right, of used sure. to that so um yeah no i'm and i'm i've just been kind of starting to read through that so i'm enjoying that i uh i was over playing some board games with a friend they had just gotten their um kickstarter delivery of it and just as far as the quality of the product itself just looked good yeah. um, i have not got a chance to read anything other than the initial pdf that when you signed up for the pre-order uh, and the Kickstarter, you could look through the rules. And so I, right. I flipped through that a little bit and it looked good. You know, it was also what almost a year ago that the Kickstarter went down. So it, I forgot. <laughs> I've forgotten yeah. almost everything I read. But I remember there it being fairly rules heavy. But I think with martial arts games, it works out really well. Now, I know there's a couple of really good martial arts games. The Feng Shui is one of them. And um, there is another who I'm escaping. But it's really more about story narrative. But uh, yeah, I, I, I look forward to it. I'm... I'm looking forward to playing in one of the pre-Avatar worlds where there are many airbenders. Right. Yeah, because so, you can you know, set it in one yeah. of, I think they have like six different settings, that they suggested settings, and, you know, that's, yeah, absolutely. And one of the players in my D&D group might be persuaded to play it, so I might end up with a small Avatar group, which seems appropriate given the TV show, <laughs> for sure. it to not be a huge group. <laughs> and, the, yeah, that makes sense. I would like to briefly talk about podcasts. I know this is something that we haven't really done before, which is starting our uh, – we've talked about movies before. We're going to start talking about role-playing games too if we have anything to discuss specifically. But I also want to um, – if I find a podcast that sparks joy and is about movies and or role-playing games, and I think you know, I am not above recommending someone else's podcast on my podcast. And when I say mine, I mean our podcast. I'm just right. saying like right. regardless of where I am, I always feel like, you know, there's – if I find something that I'm truly enjoying, people should know about it. So sure. here's two. Sure. The first is um, I wanted a second opinion, and we are going to be talking about our second opinions about the quest, but I wanted to get someone else's opinion on it. Unsurprising, not a lot of podcasts are dedicated to the quest. Um <laughs> But I will say that when I found one, and it was on Australian podcast, I was super happy because it's something that is culturally more relevant to them than it is to us. Right. Uh, and the folks over at the Podsploitation Presentation Podcast, episode number 16 on Frog Dreaming uh, from 2019, really good. It was great to get some ideas, um, particularly, and we'll talk about the things we missed, the uh, casual racism. Uh, they they mention that specifically. Um, again, no one is defending the racism. They are explaining the cultural relevance of it. Right. So that was nice. And it felt like they were essentially echoing everything that we had said. And it was nice to hear people who were definitely closer to the source material than we are uh, echoing it. Not that I have to have everyone agree with what I'm saying, but it just, you know, I felt a little icky last time and I... I because I always feel weird as that white guy talking about racism. I would be concerned if you found a podcast that was defending the racism. I, I, I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who will, but I would be concerned that you are listening to it. Correct. You are You are correct, sir. Anyway, um, they also have an episode on the BMX Bandits. Ooh, and we've, we've talked about that. We have an episode on BMX Bandits. We do. And I mean, if you liked what we had to say about them... Uh, both BMX Bandits and The Quest, I would certainly recommend both of these podcasts because it's fun. They had a lot of the same things. But what I thought was really interesting was, because BMX Bandits came out before The Goonies, they drew a lot of similarities to the axe structure of BMX Bandits to The Goonies. And in very similar ways to we did, but they actually drew one or two more than than we did that I thought was like kind of interesting. So I would say give that a listen. Um, it's certainly worth your time. The other thing, this is the podcast that I've been obsessed with for the last week or two. It's called Films to be Buried with. 
So Films to be Buried with is Brett Goldstein. So if you've watched Ted Lasso, um, he's Roy Kent in that. He is going to be Hercules in a future Thor Marvel movie. Spoilers. Um, I guess. I guess is that true? I mean, I yeah, I guess. But it, it's it's been over six months, and sure. Spoilers. You're right. You're absolutely right. If I have just ruined someone's day, uh, people are like, I don't, I don't know who Brent Goldstein is, and they so, and they don't know yeah. what I'm talking about when I say spoilers, or they do, yeah. in which case it's not a spoiler. Correct. Um. So. He has a really interesting podcast. It's called Films to be Buried with. And what it is is they invite a guest on, they tell them that they've died, and then they relive their lives through the movies that they've watched. And so it's a series of questions. So it's sort of like um, the Proust questionnaire on the back of Vanity Fair, but not nearly as pretentious. Uh, because Brent Golzini is a comedian, there's a lot of humor involved with it. It's just a delight to listen to. In particular, episode 71 is Joe Cornish. So we've already reviewed two Joe Cornish movies. Right. Or sorry, I should say, we've already reviewed both of Joe Cornish's movies. Uh, so <laughs> there's some really good behind the scenes stuff. Um, and he specifically asks about the relevance of movies that Cornish produces involving youth because he also wrote Tintin um, and was one of the driving forces of the original script for Ant-Man. So both of those podcasts, highly recommend. Uh, if you had to listen to one of them and you do like humor side of movie conversations, uh, definitely Films to be Buried With would be my podcast pick. Okay, uh, and I'm going to point out, just because I have to, I just pulled it up on my phone going, that sounds really interesting. Drew is talking about episode 71 is Joe Cornish. Their most re recent episode at the point that we are recording this is 234. So did you dig deep or? Uh, well, so what I do with any kind of podcast that I'm listening to, if they have a guest on uh, or a movie, uh, the first thing I want to do is I want to see how they treat a film or a, a personality that I like. So if they, for instance, if it's a horror movie podcast, I'm going to find the Thing episode first and foremost. If they don't have a Thing episode, I'll find the next movie that I, I, I horror movie that I love. Joe Cornish is not the first person I listen to on, on the podcast, but I have. Rafe, you would like the Kevin Smith episode. I now know a lot more about Kevin Smith's love life than I ever, <laughs> ever wanted to know about. But it's a very personal interview, and I, I, I really appreciate it because also there's a discussion of filmmaking, and when you start talking about the movies that influenced you as a human being and as a creator, I love that little in-depth look. So uh, did I dig deep? I have not listened to 71 episodes. I've probably listened to about 20 in the last three weeks, maybe maybe a little less than that, but I'm just jumping around to folks I know. There is, once I... I uh, exhaust all the folks I know. I'm going to jump back in and listen to people I don't know about because that's how I learn new things. Right, exactly. Well, let me let me jump in on your coattails here. I probably won't normally have podcasts to talk about, but because uh, I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts, I'm busy making them or watching movies and such. I, I don't listen to as many podcasts as I used to. Uh, but one of the, the few that I do listen to is called Get Played. It started as a podcast called How Did This Get Played, which was a play on <laughs> how did this get made. Because uh, it's at Earwolf, which is where How Did This Get Made sure. is. Uh, and they, they the podcast started uh, as a uh, the worst and weirdest video games. They would play the, the worst and weirdest video games and talk about them. And they've evolved over the course of the years that they've been doing this. So they call it Get Played. And now it is just kind of they have theme episodes where they talk about video games. And the most recent episode that came out, and they don't have numbers, so it's it's called Console Draft Nintendo 64. It has a draft in it, Drew. You love drafts. I love drafts. And, but the, the second part of the episode, they do some listener mail type stuff. And there's a question that's asked about how do they handle playing video games being in serious relationships? Because one of hmm. them, they've had her uh, fiancé on the show before to talk. So like they know that her fiance plays video games too, but the other two co-hosts, uh, their significant others haven't been on. And so they were asking, how do you balance that? How do you manage that? And the conversation became so interesting that I did something I almost never do. And I, I recommended the, this episode to several people I know who don't even listen to podcasts, but just mm. because it was relevant to like, like, my girlfriend and I are going to listen. We're going on a trip this weekend. We're going to listen to that part of this episode because I feel like it opens a line of communication between us about that. But that's not just applicable to video games. I think that's very much true if you were a role player. Because, heck, role-playing game sessions, by default, are going to last longer than 
video game sessions a lot of the time. You know, that you because sure. a video game you can pick up, you can play for an hour, you can be done with. You can't do that with a role-playing game session and, and actually, you know, be effective. So I think it the conversation that they have on the podcast, to listen to it opens a door for communication on how you balance that hobby with a relationship. And I found that really interesting. I'm gonna give that a listen to as well. Yeah. Thanks for that one. That's cool. Yeah. Well, now that we've dropped our opinions about uh, movies, role-playing games, and podcasts, it's time to jump back to the movie that we were discussing on our last session. Of course, we're going back to uh, The Quest. So, did we miss anything? Drew, of course we missed something. Because we have created a tradition and history in this podcast of forgetting to mention when the music is amazing or notable. And in this case, I, I don't know the music is necessarily amazing, but it is brought to you by Brian May. Right. Now, for those who don't know the name Brian May, physicist Brian May, <laughs> or astrophysicist, uh, Brian May is the lead guitarist for Queen. I, it's also important we should say Australian yes. physicist and musician Brian yes. May, too. And I, I, I remember the first time I watched this movie at your re request, uh, seeing his name pop up and going, ooh, Brian May, I love him. And then forgetting completely that he was involved in it. So when I rewatched it for the podcast, seeing his name pop up and going, ooh, Brian May, I love him. <laughs> and then we forgot to mention him on the podcast. It is a good score. It's not like an iconic score, but it's a good score and definitely worth mentioning. Hey, Brian May was involved in this. And that's right. that's not, especially at the time this came out, it's not like he was an unknown. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing too, is like, I, 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 I was going to like completely defend this score. And then I realized like, I couldn't hum you a single bar from it, but I find the tense spooky moments, the music is perfect for the yeah. tense spooky moments, and the action-adventure moments have that kind of Amblin-esque quality to them. Yes. So I, I, I think it's a really good score if it was available. Now, I somewhere someone said that there was a, a recent release on CD. It is not on Spotify in the United States. Why would it be? Right. But... Uh, if, if I can get a digital download, I probably would upload it to my computer to have in my Kids on Bikes soundtrack that I, I play during during sessions. Uh, so sure. I, certainly sure. I just want to also draw your attention and, and the listeners' attention to, like, other films Brian May has scored. You know, we, we have Brian Trenchard-Smith, right, on our podcast, Turkey Shoot. Super violent hunting human beings movie. Brian May score. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cloak and Dagger, the movie I was just talking about. Brian May score. I had no idea. Yeah, and and I think there's actually uh, some other connection between Cloak and Dagger and um, the quest that isn't just the main actor and the music. Uh, I think there's something involving the script or costuming or something along those two. I remember like flipping through the the um, IMDb and going, oh, there, there's there's some connections. I probably shouldn't have them. Yeah, so that's I mean that's our traditional miss. A couple of other things. Um, I think on the last episode uh, I said that there were there's only one speaking part of people of color. Um, you did for the Aboriginal, and that was wrong. Um, you know, I, I wasn't thinking, and I'm, I'm absolutely happy to correct myself. So um, there are several parts: the construction worker, uh, there's the teen at the dance, and of course Charlie oh, Pride. Right. So right, yeah, and and so like, but there's a whole section where he goes to the Aboriginal kind of area, and they travel, and people are talking, but the score is over them. Right. So those aren't. I wouldn't count those as talking points. Like, those people are not going to be paid. God, I hope they were paid. I really do. Um, <laughs> they're not going to be paid for talking parts, right? Like, they're not, like, going to get a right. SAG membership for that. But you know, there were certainly more than what I had remembered. And, and, yeah, I was wrong. So there we go. I want to talk about Katie Manning next. Um, Who we mentioned when we introed the film as being involved and then never talked about. Yes. So if you are not familiar with Katie Manning, she was on Doctor Who. Uh, she was a companion for the third Doctor. Uh, she has been a part of Doctor Who on and off for years. She's done a lot of the narration for the audio adventures. She has been a companion on the audio adventures. She has come back and done episodes for the Sarah Jane adventures. She is an amazing human being. Um, this is an individual who... I have met numerous times at conventions. Is one of my favorite convention guests. Um, there's not much of a part no. for this. She's a bit of a screamer. I mean, she has that incredible scene 
with Jane and Wendy's uh, father. I assume that she is the mother, though there she has really strong stepmom vibes. There's no, I don't think, uh, indication one way or the other. But, you know, once she gets a chicken finger in her ear, and not a cooked <laughs> chicken finger, but the actual raw chicken leg shoved in her ear, she does have that amazing discussion about the not wind, um, right. which I think is a, a kind of a brilliant bit of dialogue. But Katie Manning had moved to Australia for a short period of time and, and did work there. Um, and it was just really nice to see her. So in the United States, there's only two names above the title, right? So it's, it's uh, you know, The Quest starring... Uh, Henry Thomas and Katie Manning. So she is the other bankable celebrity, star. but yeah, bankable star, right? Right. Like, so, um, and I'm really, she is going to be a guest at Long Island Who in uh, New York this summer, 2023. I'm very much looking forward to getting my DVD cover that has already been signed by Brian Trenchard Smith, signed by Katie Manning as well. Nice. So Henry Thomas, you're next. So I <laughs> certainly didn't want to forget that. Rafe. Drew. Last episode, we did discuss. Cody Walpole's motivation, and it's kind of yeah. I don't know. We discussed it. We definitely did discuss it. <laughs> we discussed the, the we confusing really, element of it, <laughs> right? He seems to be very single-minded in finding the Donkagen, but we don't really have a good idea why. Right. Is it that he is trying to prove himself? If so, who is he trying to prove to? He is certainly the most popular kid in the entire place, uh, and he's the hero of the story. So you know, like he doesn't doesn't does he need to prove to himself? Probably that most heroes' journeys involve that. Is it in intellectual curiosity? Maybe he Maybe. certainly. Um, when he talks to Gaza, he he certainly says that if you know you were told no by your parents, wouldn't you have gone ahead and done it? I have to know. We are now going to jump to our what is it? We're, what are we calling this? We're going to listener mail, social media responses, collaboration with the audience, Absolutely. dancing with the stars. So when we disappear for six months. You can imagine a lot of stuff would be sent our way. Well, the answer to that is actually no. No, it wasn't. Because if we're not engaging with our group and we're not putting out new episodes, people are not going to be responding to us. But as soon as we started putting things out, we got some responses. And we're going to read those now. And and one of them involves very much uh, with Cody's motivation. And that comes from Sarah Tester. And so on our Facebook group, Sarah Tester says, so glad you guys are back. Sarah, so are we. Great discussion about this movie. I know this is one that Sarah was really interested in. She asked about it several times, uh, especially the conversation about Cody's motivation. For me, his motivation rests entirely upon the conversation with Charlie Pride on the pier. Is he brave enough to dance with the devil? Uh, of course, she says, gender stereotypical. Is he a man or is he a boy? And Charlie Pride does say that's man stuff. So that night he dances with the small devil, finds out it isn't as scary as he imagines it to be, and then he goes to dance with the larger devil, or the donkogen, spoilers. Uh, his motivation is to confront his fear. So perhaps this is a good topic for a session zero, and it would center on your player's fears. What is the group fear? And are they up for a dance with that fear? Yeah, I'm I'm debating this. I'm thinking about this because that's a, that's a really good answer. And the sad fact, Sarah, is that when I look back at the notes that I took when I watched this movie, I got that concept and I lost it along the way. <laughs> I did get this idea of the dance with the devil kind of being his motivation. Uh, at least in that first thing, and I just didn't apply it to the idea of that also being his pursuit of the Donkajin. And so, kudos. That's that's a good way of putting together the the con connecting the dots that I didn't do. Yeah, absolutely. And it was one of those things where I I didn't take notes the most recent time that I watched it, but it certainly feels like that's something I should have caught on. So yeah, that's on me. Um, the other thing too that I think is really interesting is when you discover that your devil is a a pile of junk, it sets up the ending so well. Plus, that's a great, great, great scene. But that goes back to what you mentioned uh, about questions for the Zero Session is, are you okay with an anticlimactic resolution? Mm -hmm. You know, because we don't we don't really see Cody. I mean, I guess because Cody disappears, dies, whatever you want to call it in the movie, we don't really learn Cody's disappointment that this mythic beast he's been hunting is actually a collection because he's just happy to, you know, get saved. <laughs> um, so it, it does at least keep it from being anticlimactic for him. That's true. And there is some indication that Cody had an idea that this was not a mythical creature. But right. this was, in fact, just a, a, a hunk of junk, right? So, like, the idea that when Wendy finds the fish tank and the um, steam shovel that's in the air trap, the air bubbles and such, it is strongly assumed, he's got pictures of a donkogen and whatnot, that he has an idea. But 
to your point in the in the idea that it is tying the dreaming back into this that that's up. The other thing that should have been on our second opinions is Rafe, I have gone looking for information about frog dreaming. Frog dreaming does not exist. Um, it is made up for this movie. So if you if you go back to our interview with Brian Trenchard Smith, he talks about it as if it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to hit a piece of uh, listener uh, feedback that uh, I, I absolutely loved, uh, and this comes from Graham, who also posted on our Facebook. Uh, about two weeks ago, said, I've been hanging on to this for the past five months, uh, kind of alluding to Drew's comment that when you don't put content <laughs> out, people don't comment. Uh, he said, I think Rafe's team, this is talking about our draft teams, uh, I think Rafe's team is more Campbell's hero's journey and Drew's is more Harmon's story circle. And I've been a longtime fan of Campbell's hero's journey. You've heard me talk about it before. I've talked about it on other podcasts, but I had to look up Harmon's story circle uh, that is from Dan Harmon, creator of, like, Community and co-creator of Rick and Morty and that kind of stuff. Uh, really interesting stuff. It's not a, a, a theory that I had uh, really gone into, but I, I'm reading more about it now. Thank you for that, Graham. Yeah, I absolutely 100% agree um, of your draft team really feeling like a Campbellian. Yes. Uh, like, it really does feel like your character's... Go on these quests. I feel like your characters set out for adventures. You know, like thinking about Mikey specifically, you know, Edgar Frog. They are charging towards it where I do feel like my characters have adventure thrust upon them. <laughs> Some are born great. Yes. <laughs> Others have right? greatness so, thrust upon them. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's a lot to that. And again, I wish I could be able to sum up Harmon's story circle easier. We'll throw a link. We'll throw a link to yeah. it. Sure. Yeah, and I, I I totally agreed with that as well. That not not done intentionally. That uh, I th- that I've been doing a hero's journey, but not surprising given my history with it. <laughs> Graham also asked if there are twelve episodes, how many are on the team? I'm super invested in the teams. I, I I have jokingly said for months that it's everybody's favorite part of the podcast, but I think the truth is it's everybody's favorite part of the podcast. And it wasn't even part of our original idea when we came up with this podcast. Drew suggested it one day and was like, I kind of went, okay, I'll go along with that. And sure enough, it's become a, a favorite part. So we talk uh, when we introduce the draft, and again, at the point that he asked this question, it had been five months since we'd had a new episode, uh, uh, that it is going to be a team of seven, seven children, seven teens, seven seven kids, kids. and one mentor adult. Right. And so this is looking at the kind of the Goonies model, where we have seven adventurers, and plus, like, if we had less than that, I feel like we're kind of cheating ourselves on a team. Five, to me, is perfect, a perfect role-playing session group, but with 12 movies, narrowing it down to one less than half seems, I mean, we could do it, but there's so many great kids. Yeah. So... Yeah, as it is, we will end with 12 characters uh, that we then have to whittle down to seven kids and one mentor. So uh, even as we speak, when we are making the draft, we are picking characters that may not make the team because we already have more than that on our team. And while we haven't finalized exactly how we're going to finish that last session with the draft, the current idea is this. Uh, Rafe will know what my 12 are. I will know what Rafe's 12 are. But then secretly we're going to drop... Uh, five of them right and when we announce the five that we've dropped we will give the other player an option to pick up a a, adopt one of the kids which means they will have to drop yet another one of their seven yeah if they want if they want they don't certainly don't have to but like you know i have no idea who you know four more episodes from now who rafe isn't going to want so I'm having a real hard time planning in advance, and I'm not even going to. I'm gonna. I don't even know who I'm gonna get. So right. Um, but the idea will will still end up with the one preferable adult and the, the seven. But it's possible that one of our kids will come from the other team. And in a perfect world, Drew is hoping that we will then take that team and we will run an adventure for the other one. So I will run an adventure that Drew's team will go through and Drew will run an adventure that my team will go through, uh, which Graham also asked about that saying, will the eventual adventure contain challenges that highlight each member of the team? Um, if we were good game masters, then yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I think the other thing too, is we would be foolish if the adventure, cause we'd have to do a one shot. I, I just can't do another campaign right. <laughs> for that. Um, also, Graham, if you if you want in on this, you're in. Um, but if you 
I say this because I know Graham. I know he can oh, play. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know Graham. But the other thing too is we would still want to stick to the same rules that we're we're talking about when we're talking about being inspired by these movies. So the way I thought would be kind of interesting in, in designing it is you would probably want to have story elements from every one of those characters' movies, and then some of them would be included, right. and some of them wouldn't. In the same way that if you're doing Kids on Bikes, you are asked to have rumors that are happening in the town, and each player gives you two or three rumors lay out all the rumors of the town, some of them are true, but the kids aren't going to know what they are right off the bat, which ones are the truth, and that's the, the whole mystery of it. Right. So I think that's where we're at right now. I think that's probably where we're looking. So hopefully, Graham, that's that's going to sum that up for you. What else we got as far as uh, social media interactions, Drew? Well, in my quest uh, to find no more people... <laughs> pun intended, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, in my quest to find more people who like frog dreaming and also find people who just aren't us who like Frog Dreaming, I went to Facebook, and I found the Frog Dreaming Facebook group. Um, So I posted a lot of posters um, from Frog Dreaming, The Quest, The Go Kids, The Spirit of the Lake, The Spirit Chaser, the da 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 there's so many names. And I posted them, and I was finding links to where people found them, and I was like, oh, there's a Facebook group. What's amazing about this, a Facebook group dedicated to this one obscure movie who most people probably haven't heard is... Brian Trenchard Smith is a part of this group. <laughs> the editor of the film is a part of this group. Oh. The scriptwriter's niece is a part of this group. People who were extras in this movie were a part of this group. And the group's like a total maybe of 350 people. And so I've posted the podcast. I haven't actually gone back to the group to see what anyone says. Uh, I probably should have done that before here. But <laughs> in some ways, I was a little nervous. Right. So um, I may go back and... If it's something really kind of amazing, we'll mention on on, on an upcoming podcast. Sure. Um, the last thing that I think we should mention before we start getting into the role-playing aspect of this is some many months back, uh, there is a fabulous podcast called uh, the Imaginary Worlds Podcast. Love and it. Love it. Eric Malinsky, shout out to Eric. In episode 204, Paper Girls on Bikes, um, Eric looked at the kids on bikes genre um, specifically because the television show adaptation of the comic book Paper Girls had just premiered. Now, sadly, if I'm not mistaken, Paper Girls has only made it to one season. Correct. It has been canceled after the one season. Now, I will say this, Rafe. Even though, and I have a big stack of graphic novels for you, Rafe. You can borrow my entire collection of Paper Girls. You'll be able to read one if you would like. But uh, aside yeah. from that, we had at one point in time talked about doing a special episode about Paper Girls. But the question was, ooh, if it has multiple seasons, it's going to be really hard to do that. What's the, How do we time that? Well, there's only one season of it. So if we do decide that we want to discuss Paper Girls at any point in time, both the comic and the TV show, it's going to be a lot easier for us to do that. Back to the point. In this episode, Paper Girls on Bikes, Eric mentions the fact that uh, he is playing in a kids on bikes game and has been a part of the playtesting group uh, for the second edition. He was a part of that because Rafe and I had him on as a part of our playtesting group. And it was really great. So he has uh, John and Doug, um, the creators of Kids on Bikes. He interviewed them. It was really good. But he also then gave a shout out to our game, uh, which (laughs) we were basically calling Welcome to Fitchburg. And whenever I play a Kids on Bikes game, I do ask my players what genre they want to play. And we were kicking some ideas back and forth. And he just said, what about David Lynchian? And so... Dear listeners, we played three or four sessions of Kids on Bikes as if David Lynch had directed it, um, which is really interesting for me because I, while I love, I'd say, the first four or five films that Lynch has done, I'm not as familiar with them as later works. Uh, I had to look up what is essentially David Lynch uh, filmography or, or what, it, how, what makes a David Lynch film a David Lynch film, and it is about subverting the expectations of Americana, and uh, we really got into it and i think i actually really missed because like once the playtesting was over grad school kicked back in and we just haven't been able to play again and i think that's the most lynchian move you could have made with the campaign is there's <laughs> there are so many unanswered questions that i still want to know answers to and will never get <laughs> yeah i might we might just have to have eric on at some point in time and just have have you ask questions and i can maybe spit out what some of my possibilities were for that All right, Drew, let us uh, move back to kind of discussing the RPG, because we need to stat our draft picks. 
But we do. You took an idea that we just mentioned in that uh, listener feedback uh, and, and kind of started to kind of gamify it. So let's talk a little bit about that for a second. Sarah Tester, you have created a game mechanic, unbeknownst to you. Uh, yeah, so I like to create a game mechanic for every one of the uh, movies that we do. Um, this one was a little trickier because Rafe is absolutely right. The main character is, in fact, the main character. There isn't a group mechanic um, as much, um, which is hard to work with. So I originally thought this game mechanic was going to have to be about solo gaming, and instead, Sarah's reference to the fears, which, by the way, is a part of Kids on Bikes. When you you do start, when you create up a character, you are asked what your character is afraid of. Mm-hmm. But it's not really stressed in the game. No. Um, there are um, special strengths that you could have for resisting the pull of a fear, but I really liked the idea of focusing on the idea of dancing with the devil. Not in the Pale Moonlight, though technically it was in the Pale Moonlight. It was. Um, And this mechanic is just called the dance. So at the beginning of the game, your players will select a dance. And that is a challenge that they have to overcome, which is tied into their fear, which they get at creation, combined with a physical or social goal. So it doesn't have to be monumental. It doesn't have to be Campbellian, right? It, it just has to be something that you feel like your character needs to overcome in the narrative before the final confrontation occurs. Now, this is not a mini-boss before you get to the big boss. This is a story narrative. Now, this is something that naturally occurs in good storytelling. I, I was going to say, I mean, to, to some degree, and I, I don't want to set all the context out for this, but m- most listeners can probably just pull together from the question I'm going to ask you. So for the campaign that we played, not the not the one with Eric, but the, uh, the one previous to that, for my character Rick, just talking to the girl he liked would have been overcoming his fear before the finale, correct? That is absolutely right. And so when we first started... I generally like to ask my players what their character's highest ambition is. And if I'm not mistaken, your highest ambition was to talk to the girl. Right. Uh, And so that would have been your dance. Right. And and so, yeah. And the idea is just coining that term, knowing that you had to overcome that. And the nice thing about that, too, we would maybe argue it's kind of like a milestone or, you know, a character development. But as a game master, it's a really useful shorthand to go, before we move forward, I need to make sure I am maneuvering these situations so that the character can do that. And also the nice thing about something like this, because it is involved with a fear and a goal, is that the players themselves can maneuver themselves into it position if they feel that they're ready. So it's it's not something that you should be in the forefront of your mind, but it's something that as you are moving forward, it, it should be something that the characters look forward to accomplishing. Now, if you're doing a one-shot, you don't do this. But this is more of a campaign, right? So if we're, if we're doing a minimum of three to five sessions, um, at least I would, I would include this in there. But I, I like the idea of the dance. So, you know, again, for the example of the movie, Cody has to prove his quote-unquote manhood. I uh, hate that term, but, you know, that's what he is. By facing his fears, by dancing with the devil before the Donkajin will appear to him. So there you go. Simple True. enough. I... Love it, and I feel like we've finally gotten something of value out of watching the quest for this podcast. <laughs> you know, you can naysay all you want. Even after I hung up, finishing up the last that last session, there's part of me that felt like watching this movie again. And that is just, <laughs> it is just a part of my nostalgic childhood. We all have that film. And like, it's like, yeah, I get it. You didn't, it wasn't for you, man. That's super cool. It it may not necessarily have been for the podcast, but I think about that film and I, I get a, a, a sense of joy in a very real, very Amblin-esque sense. That's so, fair. That's valid. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, Drew, let us uh, take our picks that we added to our rosters with from uh, from this movie, and it's time to stat them. It's time to throw some stats, and we get to use second edition information. Second edition. Yes. Yeah. Actually, there's, there's something... Um, did we use Nax when we were statting our BMX Bandits characters? Uh, we, we we hinted on it. We we played. We hinted we, at we, it. Yeah, we didn't. Was, we didn't was, specifically write them down on our sheet like we did this time. Yeah. So we are we are including Nax on this one, which is something yes. that I absolutely love, and, and I think we kind of explained that, but we'll explain it again. Do you want to go first, or I want should you, I want you to go? Should first? Cody I'm, charge I'm Cody? Not, Wall. Yes, Cody. Okay. Cody always goes first. Like I'm surprised you asked. Come on, man. All right. <laughs> Cody rushes in. So Cody Walpole, the trope for Cody is interesting because 
Um, Adventurous Scout makes the most sense, but for me, more importantly than the trope itself was the stat blocks. So in Kids on Bikes, I wanted Cody to have his highest stat be in grit, because Cody is pulling off stunts that you have to have a high grit for. Yeah. Um, so grit being the first, he's smart, he's demonstrated that on numerous, numerous occasions, smart to the point of um, exclusion, so he's in that way. So um, Brain's next. He's charming. He's got the whole town wrapped around his finger. It was between charm and flight as being the third one. I went with charm. Flight's fourth. He is not much of a fighter, but I do feel like I'm giving him fight before brawn because he struggles. I mean, like, he he definitely has... He perseveres. So. Right. The problem with a character like Cody Walpole is he is a perfect character in many ways. I still feel like his flaws are tied into him being a, a perfect character, which is what gets him in trouble and almost gets him killed. So for his strength, I went with prepared. The idea is that he he thinks a lot about a situation. Sometimes he jumps in ahead of time, but he is also someone who is written to be prepared. He is a MacGyver-esque character. You kind of have to have that built in. Uh, the other one is he's unflappable. So he's got cool under pressure, which means that um, it's going to be easier for him to roll certain things. His flaw. Boy, how do we call this? First, I called it independent. Then I thought persistent makes a lot of sense. And then something to prove. So I like something to prove. Yeah. The other one, too, is like single-minded, but he's not single-minded. He does consider other people, but I think something to prove is the way. Also, you're like, Drew, you didn't give him a trope. You're right. I didn't give him a trope um, because I thought the stats were more important. So the trope I was giving him is perfect orphan, which is a cinema term, right? Because, like, if you want your character to succeed, you get rid of his parents immediately. Um, And this is something that Disney excels at. Uh, Or orphan with a purpose was the other one, but I definitely really feel like he is aware that his parents are dead, even though they don't really dwell on that. I feel like that is the main crux of a lot of his drive. So we talked about his motivation. That is, may not be his motivation, but it's certainly where that motivation stems from. Um, This is me psychoanalyzing (laughs) Cody Walpole. Um, His knack. All right, so in the game, your character has a knack. It could be something that they're naturally going to be good at in once per session. Rather than rolling the die, you just take 10 on it. And um, assuming it's not a, a colossally hard event, it's something that you can just do. For Cody, his knack is MacGyvering. Um, I don't know what else to call it, but MacGyver no, makes perfect. the most sense, yeah. which is that you have uh, you can build something that is going to be beneficial to you. That is the main thing that we see, other than getting in trouble, it's the main thing that we see Cody doing over and over again. Um, it is super evidence. I do not feel like I'm stretching anything by saying nope. that. Uh, in his backpack. So with backpacks, there's two different things you're going to find. You're going to find a physical thing. You're going to find an abstract thing. Abstract is um, something that he always carries with him. So I had two things. First, it's a town's interest. If Cody is going to do something, it is going to draw attention from the town. That is a 50-50 abstract because it can be good. Right. Or it can be bad. (laughs) Or it can be bad if he wants to do something without getting anyone's attention. And again, with someone like Cody, I don't mind heaping in some flaws or some negative things that can balance the character out. The other thing I give him is a rap sheet. Rap sheet's a really weird word for it. But the idea is that the police are always going to have a list of grievances against Cody Walpole. Because the police chief in this movie certainly lists off a number of things. Almost to the point where he gives up on him and lets him go splat. So those are the two abstracts. Physically, I couldn't choose one thing. So unlike, say, BMX Bandits, where they have a physical object like a a walkie-talkie, which they have, what we do have is a list of things that Cody has attempted in the past. So he mentions his rocket skates, homemade hand grenade, parachutes. So the idea is Cody has something in his backpack that is left over from one of his previous experiments. And that feels very vague, but to gamify it, once per session, he gets a plus one on prepared rolls um, because he doesn't have a physical item. Uh, you know, you don't say for sure what he has, but like the prepared um, strength, this just gives him a bonus to it. Uh, the other thing is bikes. Well, Cody's bike doesn't look like this in the movie. Um, in the game, you choose a color and you choose an upgrade, and that gives your bike a little bit more character. I'm choosing neon as a color uh, because it's plus one for flight. And I think um, if it's one thing Cody's bike does is go fast, especially on railroad tracks. Uh, And then as an upgrade, I'm giving him the milk crate and the milk crate allows a character to carry a large item. I figure that makes sense. Um, We see Cody bringing large equipment to um, 
the watering hole, or sorry, the billabong, even though they don't say it in the movie, um, in the Australian podcast, in the podsploitation, they're like, it's a billabong, guys. It's a billabong. <laughs> we'll take your word uh, for it. So <laughs> he takes a lot of stuff up to the billabong, and we never actually see how he does it. So I'm going to assume he's bringing it up via bike, which when you, you know, he's got cannons and uh, an aqua lung. Right? Is that yeah. correct? Aqualung. Yeah. So uh, that is my statting of Cody Wolpa. I think it's pretty accurate. What do yeah. you think? Did I miss? I am I missing anything? I, no, I don't think so. Okay. I I, I think uh, I I think I should have gone first. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have I have less to work with. Right. As far as her character in the movie, I, I have significantly less to work with. I, I wish you could have watched. My process uh, of going through this, I'll try to walk through my thought process. It won't be as in-depth as yours was. So for the trope, I looked at the the new list of tropes, and I was like, "Mm, unlikely ally. Except for that's a teen or adult role that's not really intended for a kid. And she is definitely the youngest person in the movie. So yeah, no, that doesn't really fit. So I looked at him again and went, okay, I guess it's funny sidekick again, even though I just did funny sidekick last month. Yeah. But- It kind of fits, except for I don't like that funny sidekick has brains as its lowest stat because I don't think Jane is stupid. But I've oh no, Jane is very bright. Yeah, and so I've I've overcome that. I've I've min maxed just a tiny bit here, but. But mm-hmm. so for her strengths, I originally I picked uh, easygoing mm-hmm. and or cool under pressure. And the more I thought about it, I think it should be be easygoing. And I, then I picked unassuming. Ooh, I, I like that. Yeah, I had picked uh, skilled at uh, and uh, skilled at creating distractions. And I went, well, no, that's her knack. Because yes. then she just. Yes. Yeah. So I took that away and I came up with, I, I thought unassuming fit. So uh, strengths are easygoing and unassuming. Her flaw is that she is rude. I disagree. She, she but, has but no filter. <laughs> I would, I would change it to speaks her mind. Okay, I like that. I like that. I'll go with that instead. Speaks her mind. Uh, yeah. Her knack, as I said, is creating distractions because that is really the one, good. Yeah, that's the purpose that she serves in the movie. Mm-hmm. So for the abstract in her backpack, I I feel like it is a sibling rivalry slash sibling connection because she has this connection now. And and we talked about bonds when we talked yes. about second edition. But if you don't have a player playing that, then you don't Correct. have it as a bond. So I figured it's better to put it in because we don't have a player playing that. Right, right, right. So I figured it's better to put it in as an abstract. And it's kind of a rivalry because you do get the sense early on in the movie that she is kind of competing with her sister for Cody's attention, not affection, attention. Yeah, I, yes. Yeah, I think that's a really safe way of doing it. I mean, I wouldn't say that affection is wrong, but I don't think it's romantic affection. Right. I think So here's the thing. Let me just take a brief moment and talk about how much I love Jane as a character. Possibly one of my favorite characters that we've talked about, and in some way she is the other stereotypical 80s kid. So in the same way that Cody is like if you have one character in your movie, the guy who's like kind of the the smart, charming um, tech guy. She's kind of the same way because we do see that Jane has created an advanced pulley system to freak right. out her her mother. So I think she and Cody are actually birds of a feather. It really does feel like Wendy is getting in the way of some really interesting mischief. If Jane and Cody were on the same team, oh my goodness. You throw data in with that group, it's it's gonna be amazing. Um, and you're right, you're absolutely right. Like I, I was about to like raise my hand and go, uh, excuse me, bonds are there. But you're you're right. Without having a sister there, I think that's um, the abstract for sibling rivalry makes a lot of sense because I would bring Wendy into the equation, right. uh, even though she's not as an NPC, right. So. Uh, for physical, you suggested cigarettes or inappropriate reading, and I kind of just left that because I couldn't think of anything other than you know. The, the typical 80s radio, which they didn't actually have in the movie. So, you know. Right, yeah. She also seems like someone who would have fireworks on her. Um, I yeah. don't know if that's something that is attainable in Australia, but she also seems like like anything that, she, like, you know, also would be, like, I guess raw chicken legs. Um, right. But like, but, like, I think also in the same way that other of our characters had, uh, for instance, Goose had a library card, 
uh, a video card. There's probably a library. She's she's taking she's getting her book. She's getting the perfumed garden from somewhere. Right. So either her mom's reading it or she has uh, an adult at librarian who's looking the other way. So yeah, for her bike, uh, I chose white because that gives a bonus to brains. Sounds good. So that helps balance out the fact that uh, this funny sidekick has brains as as the low end thing. Mm-hmm. And then for her upgrade, I uh, gave her a basket, which gives the skill organized mess. You can pick a commonplace item out of your basket once per day, which is kind of what you're doing with the the physical in Cody's backpack. Mm-hmm. But it that's his backpack and not his bike. So I kind of I kind of liked that. Yeah, and you get your bonuses when you're on your bike, right? right. So um, if Cody's Cody's on his bike quite a bit in this because they do have a a, a a bit of distance to travel. So now I think that works really well, and I think um, the two of them together go hand in hand. So I'm 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 quite impressed with that. Yeah, no, that that's good. That's good. All right, Drew, we got two things left to do. Uh, we need to talk a little bit about what we found in the realm of crowdsourcing, and then we mm-hmm. need to announce our next movie. Bum, bum, I'm bum. very excited to see what you have chosen. Yeah, let's talk about it. So. It's been a while since we've we've looked at it, right? So we last time that we discussed it, I just didn't feel like there's been as much stuff on Kickstarter that has drawn my attention. I don't know about you, but I've I've looked at a couple of things. I'm still kind of on exile from Kickstarter yeah. because I'm not allowed to back any Kickstarters and yet I still keep doing it. Thankfully, it's just like one shot, like $1. There's there's a, a, a one that I've been following that does like uh one shot $1. Uh, mm-hmm. Kickstarter, so it's just a dollar contribution. You get your your stuff within a week of it closing, and it's just PDF, so it's digital. It's not taking up space. It's not costing me shipping and handling, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but one dollar one shot, I think, is what they're called. And uh, but other than that, I've been trying to refrain from backing Kickstarters, so I, I haven't been looking as much. I agreed. I'm I'm the exact same way. However, the algorithm based on um, social media is still occasionally throwing something up, and oh, that's sure. how I f- I saw this first one, which is called Hollywood 1947. I um, also found it that same <laughs> way <laughs> <laughs> because it's a game about movies. It's right. also a, a role playing game about movies. I mean, it's it's a it's technically a board game, right? It's or a, I I don't know. It's a tabletop game. Yes, uh, in which you are putting together films, however, in the same way that you have a werewolf or a mafia, um, this is during the time of kind of a McCarthyism where... The Red Scare. The Red Scare. Someone may or may not be a communist in the production. It's interesting because this is a really dark time in Hollywood's history. There are folks who are still real sore about some of the people who named names. Oh, Um, yeah. If if you... uh... Yeah, if you have any uh, doubt about that, watch on YouTube when Ilya Kazan was given uh, an achievement, a special achievement by the Oscars, and you have people like Spielberg uh, and sitting. Like, they, yeah. they picketed outside. You had people sitting and not applauding when he was brought up on stage. Uh, it, it's a hell of a clip. It's a, it's an, it, because he named names. Right, right, exactly right. And, and so many people's careers were ruined. Um, and... That was the first time I had heard of that. So when that happened, I looked into it. It's interesting because, again, even at that time, Manchurian Candidate was one of my favorite films, and so we were dealing with McCarthyism, um, right? As well. So like, I had an, an inkling that was happening in the world, but I didn't know that it had gone to Hollywood. So anyway, 1947. It's it's in some ways it reminds me of uh, a game called Deadwood that came out by Cheap Ass Games. 20-something years ago, back when I was a demo monkey for the company, where you're trying to get movies accomplished, and it's a kind of a Yahtzee-esque rolling system, um, and you can up the ante by uh, playing certain cards. It was super fun. But anyway, it looked good. And if you look at this Kickstarter, one of the things they do offer is they have four other games that they have put out, um, and they're, they're in this really interesting book uh, appearance box, and mm-hmm. they're putting them out as a five set of of all five of them. But if you look at the mechanics, they're all very similarly attached to that werewolf mafia style mm-hmm. mechanic thing. But they're in different settings and different special mechanics and stuff. It, they're they're interesting. I really want to pull the trigger on it, Drew. I really want to. <laughs> well, if you do, let me know because like we probably both don't need to have this game, right? Um. Should I talk about the next one? Or do you want to talk about the next one? The next one's all you, baby. Okay, yeah. All right, look, here's the thing. You you have a futuristic society that something bad has happened, and a futuristic society, or a society in the future, I should say, goes back 
to living in the past, except everyone's dogs, uh, or especially mutated bipedal dogs. It's called the Realms of Pugmire. <laughs> Is it original? No. I mean, if you play the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle role-playing game from Palladium Games from the 80s, it you could pull this off there, but there's something really endearing about it. Yes, also I talked about heckin' good doggos. Like, do I have a thing for, for cute dogs? Yes, do I have a cute dog? I do not. Do I watch their videos on Instagram? You better believe I do. <laughs> um, Realms of Pugma. I don't need to say anything more. It's a fantasy game where you can, you can be a pug. I, done. Battle yeah. pug. Do it. Uh, and then the last one uh, that I brought is um, the Cypher system. Mm-hmm. And this, I know, again, it hit my uh, – well, one, it hit my email because I backed a project by Monty Cook uh, Games before. Uh, but it also it showed up in my social media timeline because there have been all these calls for trying to find new game systems after uh, all the, the fiasco with the uh, D20 system license over the last couple of months, which we are not going to get into. In fact, we did start to get into it in our last episode, and I cut it out. (laughs) You did, and I think that's rightfully so, because, uh, yeah, anyway. But anyway, people are looking for other systems. This is a system that's been out. They're doing a new Kickstarter because they're kicking off. This is It's very much like the old GURPS, where it's a basic system, and then they have books that expand upon different Mm -hmm. worlds that you can use that system for. It's kind of pricey, which is why I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. Uh, I'd love to. It's not the first thing that they've put out that I've gone, I just can't that right and that's a and that's kind of a hallmark of money cook games yeah but that being said um from every friend that i have who is into gaming and who has picked those up either kickstarter or off the shelves they said that the quality is very good i'm sure um, i mean the source book is like over 400 pages yeah yeah well i have nothing wrong book, with the main book yeah yeah i have nothing wrong with that uh, uh chris spivey's haunted west book is one of the most magnificent gaming tomes I've ever picked up, and certainly my probably favorite purchase of uh, 2020 or 2021, whenever it came out. Um, but if you want you to ha- like Drew in in the future dystopian uh, zombie apocalypse, what weapon will you? Be- I'm just gonna be wielding this Haunted West source book uh, <laughs> because it's it's light enough to be swung, but heavy enough to do a lot of damage. Uh, and and that's nothing wrong with that. I just happen to prefer. Of rules like gaming right now because my right. poor brain is oatmeal. So can't yeah. imagine why. <laughs> so yeah, so that's called the cipher system. That is on uh, backer kit, right? Yeah, and it's interesting they're cutting out the middleman and just going straight to backer kit for uh, quite a few of these games. And I'm fine with that. My I remember my backer kit password now, so uh, these things are. <laughs> <laughs> are, are doable. Like you, I am taking a break from it. Uh, so it's nice that nothing has been, I have to get it. Um, right. I'm always going to try to support those independent folks and just get the PDFs, even if it's a $1 to $5 donation. Those I have been happy to pick up, especially when your rules book is only 15 pages. So, you know, I pay my 5 bucks. I uh, I download the file. I take it to my work. I pay $0.10 cents a page, and then I print it out, and we're good. I've, I'll read through it once. I may never play it, but... They've sold some copies. I've gotten some food for thought. You know, everyone is happy. So Sure. Yeah, sure. Rafe. All right, Drew. I'm dying here, man. I'm dying. And I know, I know, I'm the reason <laughs> that it's been <laughs> a while. I'm, the, I'm not going to say I'm the reason it's been seven months since you've selected a movie, but I'm definitely <laughs> the reason that it's been at least five weeks since you've selected a movie. So... We only have four choices remaining. So I, I have two, and you have two. And I, I've literally been thinking about this up until this morning, because what am I going to pick? Because here's my concern. I have a final movie picked. This is not the final movie. This is the next to last movie. I have a final movie picked. But as I joked about, and I hope you understand, my feelings are not hurt, like I'm not upset, even though I've joked about it. If something happens in the next for picks that suddenly we have another special episode and my pick gets bumped or something like that, then I can't do my final pick and it all ends up being anticlimactic. And so I do I pick that now, knowing we still have four months of, of stuff to go and go ahead and, and, and finish early? Or do I put it off and cross my fingers that we're not going to book any special guests or uh, have some circumstance where it's like, oh, let's talk about this movie. So I, I, I've been... Dancing with this idea 
And then the other movie that I wanted to pick for this month, the one that I had slated, I, I wanted to pick way early in this process. And to pull back the curtain, because that's what we do in the intermissions, we had a lot more guests planned, or at least projected, when we first set out, uh, and, and had even talked to a couple of people about being on the show, and they had picked movies. And then we just haven't dotted the I's and crossed the T's and that kind of stuff. And the movie that I want to pick was picked by one of those guests. Oh, wow. But we're towards the end now, so I'm going to go ahead and take it. And apologies if this ends up causing you problems because you help coordinate our guests. So hopefully this won't, like, nobody will get hurt over this. Knowing what movie you are now talking about, what I will endeavor to do is see if the guest still wants to talk about it and just do a quick maybe 20-minute interview with them that we can tack on. Ah, fantastic, fantastic. So we had two movies that I absolutely were were left that are were on my and and there's some of the movies that I picked along the way were movies that I knew from the start. I'm going to pick this. Some of them weren't. Like I had no idea the kid who would be king. Like that that was that was like first time viewing for me too. But this one and you, I feel like you had to have wanted this one from the beginning too because you wanted to do a team of all Corys and this gives you another Corey opportunity and that is Stand by Me. Which is not the movie you thought I was going with. No. No. But we had someone lined up for it. They did. No, you're right. They did mention that if they were going to do it. Okay. Well, maybe we do that then. Wow. Not the movie I was expecting. That with that yeah, setup, but- I was expecting something else. I I know what you thought you because mm-hmm. uh, I know which other movie we had planned with a guest. Um, but no, because I I gotta go back to that nostalgic mm-hmm. element and. and for me, Stand By Me is a, a heavily nostalgic film, and it's also one we've referenced before when we did Now and Then. We, 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 right. We've talked about the fact that we need to talk about this movie. So I felt like it, I've got to get it in before we're done. We're, we're almost at the end. we got to get it in. Interesting. Wow. No, I, I'm, I'm very curious, and I'm actually really glad that we did do Now and Then beforehand, because we are going too. to be able to draw comparisons to the two. It's been a number of years since I've seen it. Yeah, all right. Yeah, because I don't think we would have been able to do it the other way around. I think if we had done this one first, no, our conversation Now and Then would have suffered. Agreed, agreed. And so. I think, honestly, to, to this point, I think I like Now and Then the most out of all the ones that we've done, conversation-wise, because it really stretched our imagination. I have... What I feel like is going to be a really fun gaming mechanic mm-hmm. for Stand By Me that I can't wait to talk about. I also have a fun gaming mechanic for Stand By Me that I can't wait to discuss. And I'm really looking forward to that yeah. uh, in roughly two weeks' time. Roughly two weeks. <laughs> Emergency trips. <laughs> be willing. <laughs> right. So, emergency could. Trips to the ER out of the question. Weekend colds that cause laryngitis, which is, right. you know, <laughs> peek behind the curtain. Why it's been three weeks instead of two weeks. You definitely got the short end of the straw between those two. <laughs> no one else is complaining when they don't have to hear me. Uh, in two weeks, <laughs> join us for our discussion of Stand By Me. The classic Stand By Me. Until then, you can find this podcast on all podcatchers and if you want to join in the conversation if you want to be mentioned uh in our social media parts of our intermissions you can email us at the never say die podcast at gmail.com we do have a facebook group so that's the never say die cast please join the group uh we are on twitter at never say die cast and uh thanks to chris talent for our wonderful theme song and thanks to megan daly for our show artwork and if you like what you've heard why not leave us a five-star review it helps uh others find the show it makes us feel loved it makes drew feel wanted i never feel wanted so you know (laughs) (laughs) oh i can't wait for a conversation on stand by me um (laughs) remember you don't have to prove that you're a man to listen to never say die Oh, my God.